Problem solving is a fine art that every leader must learn, especially the leader of a growing enterprise. With growth come problems of all kinds related to people, processes, and priorities. In Acts chapter 6, a problem arose in the early church among the Greek widows that threatened to shift the apostles' attention away from their priorities of prayer and the preaching of God's Word. Instead of being distracted, they chose to delegate the responsibility for serving widows to seven men we know as the first deacons. I call that brilliant leadership that puts first things first without neglecting the real needs of real people. Do you know how to set biblical priorities, delegate, and solve real problems? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today, Ron continues his teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. It's a timely message about how the early church selected its leadership, how it solved problems, and most of all, how it grew in spite of heavy persecution. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's our new and expanded website, somethinggoodradio.org. From Acts chapter 6, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Putting First Things First. Exodus chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law named Jethro sees this and he pulls his son aside, his son-in-law, he says, son, you're, you're, you're going to have to figure out a better way to do this. These people can't stand in line for hours and hours and hours to get a word with you. You're going to have to find captains of five and captains of 50 and captains of hundreds to handle this. And, and, and many people, even business leaders, look at the advice Moses got three to 4,000 years ago in the middle of the Sinai desert from his father-in-law Jethro as, wow, what a business principle, the fine art of delegation. And that's what Moses did. He found captains of five and captains of 50 and captains of 100, and he led the captains while the captains led everybody else. Otherwise, Moses would have flamed out in the middle of the, of the desert. The fine, fine art of delegation. By the way, <clears throat> Acts chapter 6 is the place where we often say, these were the first deacons in the church. These seven men whom the apostles raised up, trained, equipped, and appointed a task, the daily distribution, to tweak that, these were the first seven deacons. Why? Because the word diakonos in some form appears three times in these seven verses. And we often uh, point to these as the first deacons. It's not until uh, later in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 3, where the apostle Paul writes and, and lays out, you know, specific instructions and qualifications for uh, at least two offices in the church, the pastor slash elder and the deacons and the qualifications that go with that. But here we have an example of uh, delegating to a group of men here uh, who can take on the task. I, I've always said the question is not, does, was the pastor there or the pastors there? Uh, in, in solving some problem. The question is, did the church respond? 
did the church respond? If you always want the pastor to be there or one of the pastors, then we need to keep this to about 150 people. But once you, the ministry grows larger, we equip the saints, and the bigger question is, did the church respond to a particular need, not one particular person? And that's just an organizational thing and an administrative thing and a leadership thing that, that you know, a lot of… A lot of smaller churches have to grow through uh, to even get to the size of a church that we are. So we have identification, we have clarification, delegation, then comes qualifications. Back to verse 3, therefore pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Uh, here is the beginning of the qualifications of leadership. There are at least three that they mention here. These need to be people and men, in this case, who had a good reputation in the community and a good reputation amongst uh, the rest of the uh, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. They also need to be men who are full of the Holy Spirit. They have demonstrated they understand the spiritual life and, and how to walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit and be full of the Spirit so they can... Uh, make spirit-filled decisions, and, and they need to be men of wisdom, uh, people who have demonstrated a certain life skill to, to not just have knowledge but to apply knowledge and, yes, even biblical knowledge uh, to certain situations in a wise sort of way. It, it's the beginning of what is later fleshed out in the New Testament in terms of the qualifications of, of a leader. And, and, and I would just encourage uh, all of us, as we do in this church, to pause and make sure we don't hopscotch over the qualifications when we put a leader in place. You ought to see the application that we send to prospective elders and deacons, the vetting process. It's about six pages they have to fill out. When they're nominated from you, the church family, they go through a vetting process to make sure that they, they, they qualify, you know, they meet the qualifications of a deacon or qualifications of a leader, and we're not looking for perfection, we're looking for direction in a person's life, uh, do they meet the qualifications? Even if you're a business person, don't, don't skip over, don't be so, so much in a hurry to hire somebody or put somebody in a position uh, that you don't take the time to, you know, look at their qualifications, because a bad hire, well, down the road will, will be worse than, than just taking the time to hire the right person or put the right leader in place in a volunteer organization. And, and the apostles did that. They set the tone for that. They delegated the responsibility and they said to the church family, you come up with seven men that meet these qualifications and bring them to us because the church is going to respond here to this very legitimate need, this complaint that you brought to us. But we got to get the right leaders in place. I learned a long time ago, everything rises and falls on leadership and having the right leaders in the right place at the right time. And if you rush that process too much, oh, the ripple effect of that can be devastating. The wrong hire in a business can cost you momentum in the marketplace and cost you tens of thousands of dollars because you didn't have the right person in place. Some of you business leaders understand that. Step number five is 
what I call installation. I could also call it affirmation because we read on in verse 4, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Let me just pause right there and just say this. Three cheers for the early church. Here there was a problem, a complaint that didn't have a solution attached to it. It was just a complaint. And the apostles get after it. They bring everybody together. And the solution pleased everybody. They, 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 they came together in unity as a body of believers. And they chose, and here's a list of men, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on, him, on them. Uh, this is the, the installation of leaders. They prayed over them. They laid hands on them. We, 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 we do that with our deacons, with our elders. We have a process of affirmation. We also have a process of ordination. Just recently, we ordained into the ministry uh, two men, uh, one on, uh, two men in our staff and, and in our leadership pool. Uh, they went through the ordination process, and they came before an ordination council uh, that grilled them on their theology and all of that. And we, we had a celebration last Sunday night during Vision Night about you know, the ordination of two men, but along with that, the affirmation of deacons and elders. In the business world, we call this um, the onboarding process. It's one thing to hire a leader who is qualified to bring him onto your team in terms of, a, you know, in the marketplace or the military, even the ministry. How you onboard them needs to be well thought through as well. How you introduce them uh, to the organization and position their roles and responsibilities. And we see a model of this in the early church. By the way, um, these seven people, interesting names here. Stephen, who's the first mentioned, is going to take center stage in the story starting uh, in, in verse 8 of chapter 6 and all the way through chapter 7. Stephen becomes the first martyr in the church. Philip, we read about his ministry as time goes on in the book of Acts, and he has a great ministry in different places as he is sent out. The rest of the names, we never hear from them again. And that's all right. We assume that they faithfully served behind the scenes. They weren't looking for the spotlight. They weren't saying, hey, look at me. Uh, they, they were doing what, in this case, deacons do. They serve the body of Christ, and they bring a servant's heart and servant leadership to the organization. That's all part of the, uh, the installation and affirmation. We'll return to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones in just a moment. To listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, be sure to check out our online store to find resources that will help you grow in your faith. You'll find those resources by using the Library tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good only exists through the faithful prayer and financial support of listeners like you. Today, as you give, we'll give you access to download the complete series you're hearing now, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. That's all 19 messages in Ron's teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. 
And you can also call our offices. The number is 757-276-1099. And now, here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, putting first things first. Step six, I would say, is implementation. Um, how do you put now, now that you've got the leaders in place, how do you put the plan in place to address the problem? And we don't have specifics on what happened here, but we, we can only assume that now there was an implementation plan to, to get after the neglect in the daily distribution. And then step number seven, I call multiplication. This gets to the effect, the positive effect. Look at it in verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the new priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is one of those summary statements that we often come across in the book of Acts. I think of Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 47, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those that were being saved, and statements like that. They're all throughout the book of Acts, sort of a summary statement of what was happening in the early church. In this case, I see three things that were happening. Number one, it says, the Word of God continued to increase. That's an interesting way to phrase it, because up to this point, what we've been hearing is the number of disciples were added or increasing. But here, Luke says the Word of God was increasing, because at the center of this problem and discussion and how to solve the problem was the priority of prayer and the preaching of God's Word. And the apostles, you know, put first things first in terms of their role and their responsibility and how important it was that the ministry of the Word of God went forth, you know, efficiently and effectively and the proclamation of God's Word was center stage. And Luke says, the Word of God increased. That word that Jesus compared to a seed, remember the story about the the parable of the soils? And the farmer that went out and scattered his seed, and Jesus compares the Word of God to a seed. And what was happening here was nothing interrupted, nothing got in the way of the proclamation of the Word of God, and and the seed continued to go out, and it landed on fertile soil, and it took root, and it grew up to a harvest of spiritual fruit in people's lives. That's how I understand that, and that's always a good thing. And then it says, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. There's a math shift here. We've gone now from addition. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those that were being saved, Acts chapter 2, now to multiplication. <laughs> wow. I mean, they're, you know, they're getting after it in a way that you, you, you can't even count here. You've got you to go after it with a, a different math angle. And here we are 2,000 years later. We've gone from addition to multiplication to, I don't know, some measure of calculus. This is a worldwide enterprise where still the church of Jesus Christ is making disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples. And we're a part of that today, and that's exciting. And then the third thing that happened, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is an indication of something new and fresh that God was doing. Scholars believe that there were as many as 8,000 priests that served in the temple in Jerusalem on a regular basis. And if you remember, the early church met over here in a place called Solomon's Portico. It was a section of the temple that they had found a place to gather as the early church. 
They probably outgrew that at some point. It was spilling over into other aspects of the temple. But as they gathered as the church in the temple and during the week from house to house, remember that pattern from Acts chapter 2? As they gathered in the temple, there were some priests that took note of what was going on, priests that were still caught in the legalism of Phariseeism and all of Judaism that had gone off in a wrong direction. And look what God's doing. He's reaching into that group of people. You know, God loves to do new things, doesn't He? Uh, you know, don't get too settled into this world because as I read the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, there's coming a new heaven, a new earth, and a new holy city, Jerusalem. God loves to do new things. Behold, I have done something new or I am doing something new, He says in the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things are becoming new. You're not an improved version of yourself, you're a brand new creation in Christ. And God loves to do new things. And when problems arise in the church, when a complaint comes, if handled properly, it's an opportunity for God to show up and do something new and to expand the gospel. Now, to the comment that I made at the beginning of the message where I said I would tell you why it is so, so critical to get this right in the church. It's critical to get it right in your business. Don't, don't miss me here. Because if this gets messed up, it, it, it could mean a loss of momentum in the marketplace, a loss of money, loss of client, all that kind of stuff. But here's the reason why it's so critical to get it right in the church for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Before you bring a complaint, before you raise an issue or a problem, first of all, have a solution. And just remember that whatever you drop into the discussion there will either have a positive or negative effect on the gospel, the advancement of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. My son is an intern at a church in Chicago this summer. He's heading into the ministry. He's at a tiny little church of seven campuses and 15,000 people in the Chicago area. He's one of 75 interns at that church, summer interns. And he called me up, and after two days of orientation, he says, Dad, he says, wow, he says, this is ministry on steroids. <laughs> and he says, the culture here is so defined. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, here's what they told us on the first day. They said, we expect perfection, we settle for excellence because we do this for the sake of the gospel. Wow. And that's bled through the entire staff, interns, even down to lay leaders. We expect perfection, but we settle for excellence because we do this for the gospel. Oh, friends, I, I hope we, we have a high and holy expectation of ourselves that what we do as a church either positively advances the gospel or it doesn't. We're never going to achieve perfection. We won't have perfect leaders. Uh, you know, direction, not perfection, right? 
But, but when problems arise, when complaints come, oh, we, we can learn something from the early apostles. They handled it well. And, and look at the results in verse 7, the multiplication of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church didn't skip a beat here. They kept on growing. And here we are 2,000 years later. Thank God for how the apostles handled it. Not perfect men, but men who were full of the Holy Spirit and men who thought this through. Uh, men who put first things first in terms of their own roles and responsibilities. Uh, raised up leaders to handle a legitimate issue. Delegated authority to them. Implemented it. I mean, job well done. Job well done. And we applaud them for a job well done. But let's go and do likewise. Amen? for the sake of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good Radio message, Putting First Things First. Ron, we're about halfway through your series on the book of Acts, and there's something I've been meaning to ask you. Earlier in the series, you talked about how devoted the church was to prayer but you didn't get a chance to expound on that aspect of early church life. So let's talk a little more about prayer at the individual level, specifically the benefits of prayer. Some are pretty clear in Scripture, but others aren't quite so obvious. Share your thoughts on that subject as we wrap up today's message here on Something Good Radio. Brian, you're absolutely right. Prayer was a big priority for the church. They prayed about everything. Even in today's message, we see them praying diligently about who should be elevated to a position of leadership in the church. They took prayer very seriously, as should we. At the individual level, Brian, I think one of the best-kept secrets about prayer is how much it can help you after you get the answer. And by after, I mean months or years after you get the answer and respond to that answer. Let's think about some of life's big decisions, whether it's what job to take or who you should marry or whether or not you should adopt a child. Uh, whatever the big decision is, tough times are going to come no matter which way you go. This job or that, uh, this potential spouse or, or that person, uh, tough times will come. And when they do, the first question many Christians ask is, well, was this really God's will for me in the first place? And that question right there can set a person up for failure. I've seen Christians divorce simply because they asked that question after the fact and they decided the answer was no. No, this person really wasn't God's will for me, so I have an out. Well, that's the power of the flesh talking. Because we all know as believers in Jesus Christ, once you're married, it is God's will for you to stay married and to work out your differences. When you pray diligently for an answer and you get one, there's a certainty that comes about the decision you're making. When tough times come, you can hang your hat on the fact that God clearly told you this was His will. And He did it in large part because you spent an awful lot of time praying and seeking an answer. There's a certainty that comes with that, a way of knowing that you're doing exactly what God told you to do, and you can't have that same degree of certainty without prayer. It won't make the tough times go away, but it will most certainly help you find a way through them instead of looking for a way out. 
That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on the power of prayer. Ron, as we close out another day here on Something Good Radio, tell us what's in store for us next time as you move ahead in your series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Brian, what we've seen so far in the book of Acts is the steady progression of the church from inception to organization to exponential growth. We've also seen some level of persecution arise, and as I mentioned earlier, it's only going to get worse. At the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples that the world is going to hate you, and when it does, remember it hated me first. He went on to say that the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Well, Brian, that hour Jesus talked about has now come for the early church. The message is called The First Martyr, and that's where we're headed next as I continue my series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. That's next time as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. Join us then for something good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.